Hi, Coach. This is Dan Tudor, and I'm going to start this podcast off with a question. What makes a great leader? Now, there's certainly a lot of books on the topics, a lot of experts that will talk about great leadership principles, and all of those hold true. Today on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, I want to have you listen to one of your peers, a former coach and athletic director who now is in the business of teaching business professionals how to be great leaders, using the lessons of college athletics as the core. You're going to like it, and you're going to learn some things that you probably haven't heard before. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Adele's personal voice coach and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. That is right, Coach. Today is all about leadership. We're going to focus 100% on what it takes to be a great leader as a college coach and as a recruiter and somebody that is either leading their program or in the future wants to lead a program. What are the principles that make a successful leader? What are the things to avoid? And what are the things that separate good leaders from great leaders? We're going to talk to our guest today, who is a former basketball coach and athletic administrator, who has great ideas on the topic, and he has great life principles to lean back on, that as he teaches business professionals now these these fundamental aspects of leadership, uh, he looks back and does that based on his athletic experiences. And there's so much that he has to share with you today on creating good leadership within your program and good leadership principles within yourself. And I'm excited to introduce him here in a moment, and we'll get started with that conversation. First things first, I wanted to kind of do a little bit of housekeeping, and as we uh, enter this this podcast, uh, we find ourselves in this time of year where uh, coaches and programs are beginning to reevaluate uh, how they've been doing things so far uh, with the previous recruiting class. They're looking ahead to future recruiting classes, and I wanted to outline and, and make ourselves available here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies uh, that we can help. And we have helped and we do help hundreds of programs around the country in all different sports, all different division levels. And what we try to do is apply the art and science of recruiting and language and communication and marketing and psychology. We wrap all those things up into a recruiting message that we can produce and, and help outline for a coach. But also procedurally, what are the right steps to take and when to guide an athlete through the recruiting decision? That's a big focus of what we do with our clients, and it's something that if you would like to talk to us about helping you with that, this is a great time of year because you're finishing up one class, you're starting to put focus on the next class, this is the perfect time to have us jump in and 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 help. If you would like to talk about that, uh, email me, dan at dantutor.com. And I bring this up now because we've had a lot of coaches ask questions in the last couple of weeks, and it has dawned on me, oh, this is why they're asking questions, because we're in this time of the year where a lot of coaches are reevaluating the way they've done things, and they want to do it differently in the future. So I just wanted to let you know that as other coaches talk and ask us about what we do and and, and what I think makes us successful at this core part of, uh, of our work in college athletics, 
you can do that as well. doesn't matter what size of school you are, really what your budget uh, for something like that would be, uh, and your experience level. It doesn't matter. We work with very, very small programs and very, very large Division I programs and everything in between. So we would love to have that conversation with you if we've never had the chance to talk to you before. And if you are a client and you're listening to this, we so appreciate the opportunity to get to work with you. Um, every several times a week, usually we we talk about or touch on internally here with our staff what's going on and what's happening with each one of our clients, um, whether they're winning or they're enduring a losing streak, or what we need to do to write their next. Uh, set of suggested messages uh, better and more effectively. So you're always on our mind, and we so appreciate the chance to get to work with you. It's just a really, really a privilege to do that. Uh, the other thing that I will say is that we are scheduling right now our 2017 and 2018 on-campus recruiting workshop schedule. And if you've never had us to campus, uh, I really would encourage you to do that because, first of all, it's I'm just speaking personally, I love going to college campuses. I love sitting face-to-face with two or three days, uh, over two or three days with coaches and trying to figure out how to crack the code of what gets an athlete at that particular school and how to overcome the objections at your school and just all the things that we touch on uh, and even down to what should the campus visit look like and what are the things to say or not say on the phone. There's so many different areas that we touch on based on all of these 13, 14 years of research pieces that we have at our disposal that we can really give insights to coaches. So if you're an athletic director, please let us know uh, if, uh, if you'd want us to come to campus or at least talk about that. And if you're a coach listening to this, go to your athletic director or bring this up in the next staff meeting that there's an opportunity to schedule uh, some times for us to be on campus over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. And we schedule pretty far in advance. Sometimes we can get in you know, within 60 or 90 days, uh, but but put us on the schedule because there are so many good things that coaches are doing now because we've had the chance to teach them the right way to do it, and we love doing it. We're passionate about this, uh, making you better at this part of your job, so we'd love to, to do that. Last thing I will mention is that as an individual coach, it's your responsibility to get better as a leader, as a recruiter, as a as a team developer and a program developer, we have a unique three-day um, event that puts the focus on those exact things. Nothing to do with the X's and O's of your sport. You get that at your coaches' conventions. What we do is put a focus on recruiting, on personal development, on leading, on what is the best way to organize your day as a coach and and your uh, your program and how to how to develop that? And that event is called the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. And this is the tenth annual conference that we'll be holding this summer. It is at uh, Duke University, uh, June sixth through eighth, two thousand seventeen. And we really encourage you if you have three days, it's in the middle of the week, so it shouldn't interrupt any kind of recruiting. Um, uh, camps or showcases that you might be going to, please send a representative either from your school or from your staff. We will send you back with so much information that you can share with them. Uh, it's uh, It'll blow you away. And that's one of the things that the people who have attended that in the past have said their one complaint, almost it's a complaint, is that there is so much information that we give they don't know where to start when they get back. Um, so just make sure your school is a part of that or your program is a part of that. We have 
we have programs coming this year, I know, that have already registered their entire coaching staff. So um, it's small and intimate enough that we get to talk a lot. There's great networking, but it's also large enough, and we bring in so many speakers, 20-plus speakers, that you're going to get so many different tips and recommendations from out-of-this-world experts that uh, it, it's just – it's really, really a unique event. And uh, it's for serious recruiters. And so we invite you to do that. You can go to dantutor.com. Just go to the conferences tab. You pull up all the information on this year's event. And we would love to see you there. Okay. With all that being said, I want to get to today's guest and the topic, which is how to be an outstanding leader and a unique leader and do things differently than the way your competition is doing them as a way to be successful as a college coach. It is fair to say that college coaches are obsessed when it comes to the topic of leadership. How do you become a good leader? What should you do or not do to be a good leader for the team that you're leading and the program that you're involved with and the young athletes that you are charged with making better? Well, one of the best voices I think you can listen to is somebody that we're going to have on today. Uh, and his name is Jamie Beckler. And if you're not familiar with Jamie, he is a former college coach. But we'll get into that in a second. His current work is as a certified speaker and consultant with the John Maxwell Group. Now, John Maxwell is probably familiar to you as one of the nation's foremost experts on leadership development. Uh, Jamie has gone through the training uh, after he left coaching to become certified as one of John Maxwell's speakers. And uh, he has sort of taken that and, and run with it. And his 20-plus his years as a college basketball coach and athletic administrator uh, has now translated into helping businesses and also coaches and their programs around the country become better at teaching leadership skills and also in developing their own leadership principles that gets applied at their program. I think one of the reasons you'll want to listen to Jamie and what he has to say is because he is a former coach and because he brings not a sort of lofty theories that get applied to uh, the idea of being a great leader, but really Jamie is pretty down to earth because he's he has been where you've been. He has been a coach. Uh, both on the men's and women's side in, in basketball as well as in athletic administration at a very large high school uh, in Indiana. Uh, you'll, I think that's the reason you want to listen to him is because unlike a lot of people, he really understands your world and the challenges that are unique to college coaching. Uh, and so we spent uh, some time talking to Jamie about his principles and what he recommends for college coaches. And it's a fascinating discussion, which uh, we're going to get into here in just a moment. And in fact, with the interview, the way that I started it was asking Jamie Beckler about why he basically left coaching and left that world and instead decided to become a consultant for one of the best known leadership brands in the country. Yeah, so I uh, I left coaching uh, after about 20 years. I was a, a college coach, and I left coaching to go be an athletic director at a high school, a large high school in Indiana with a large athletic program. One of the thoughts that I had was that I was going to uh, 
be in athletic administration after I was done coaching. And so this opportunity came along my way. It was tough to, uh, to leave college coaching, uh, cause that's where my passion had been for so long. But, uh, uh, since I wanted to get an athletic administration, I thought that this was a good move. Uh, after two years of being an athletic administrator, I had went and gotten certified to be a John Maxwell leadership coach. Uh, you know, for many, many years, I had used a lot of John Maxwell's books and philosophies on leaderships with my own teams. Right. And, and he, uh, he's really popular in the business world and just with the general public. He's not only a, a coaching, uh, you know, athletics guy. It's, that's something, somebody that, that really sort of touches all different segments of the society. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's written over 100 books, uh, sold millions of copies. So uh, he's kind of the leadership expert. And uh, pretty much if he hasn't said it, you know, or he's pretty much said every philosophy or had, uh, uh, you know, Anything that you're looking for with your team or your business, he's he's probably written about it. So uh, he was a good guy to get certified with. Um, I got trained by him and his. Uh, there was uh, six six people that he had as his faculty um, that also helped train us, and so uh, that was a great opportunity. And and once I had gotten certified and trained by um, he and his staff. I decided that that was kind of the way I wanted to go. Uh, I had been doing a lot of speaking and training, leadership training on the side. And uh, after going through his program, I was, you know, I kind of thought that that was the way I wanted to head. And so I decided to make the move and get out of athletics, organized athletics and move into full time uh, leadership training. And so moved down to Atlanta. Uh, b- close to the airport, which is nice for, for traveling across the country speaking. Right, you know, you, right. can, you can pretty much get anywhere that. from Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the weather was a lot nicer than when I, where I was uh, up in Indiana. And so, uh, you know, it, it's it's been fun because even though, you know, it's tough not being in organized athletics anymore, but I've been able to speak to a lot of teams, uh, a lot of Division One teams, uh, different teams, whether it's softball, basketball, football. And I've been able to go all across the country and still have a, still have a part in athletics and still have a part in helping athletes uh, develop their leadership skills sure. and uh, help coaches, you know, help make coaches' jobs easier. Um, and, and I know as a coach, when I was coaching for nearly 20 years, I always wanted to find ways to make things easier. Um, not so I could be lazy, but just so that, you know, there's so many things we have as a coach that we have to do. And, and so if we can... Uh, if we can have one area of our life simplified, then then that makes uh, we can put more attention to other areas. And so, if I can help coaches and uh, simplify their life a little bit, then then that makes me feel good. I'm adding value to them. Oh, absolutely! And the other fascinating thing, just with you know your story and how you made that transition, I think a lot of coaches when they decide that for whatever reason, I want to get out of coaching, change a lifestyle. You know, just I'm bored. I need a new challenge, whatever that is. Their go-to destination is athletics administration, and you did that. And yet, there was something that wasn't quite for you personally. What not wasn't satisfying, or there was something. Well, I'm not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, what was it about? Not you know, there was a. What was it about going into athletics administration and looking and saying? Oh, okay, but this might not be it. What, what, uh, kind of what, what was that moment for you? Because I think a lot of coaches think about that, that if I ever got out of coaching, what would I do? Yeah, when I went into athletic administration, first of all, it was, it was tough because I wasn't quite ready to give up coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a great team coming back. Uh, we had just set the school record for wins. We had everybody coming back. And uh, so I wasn't quite ready, but I, but I felt that if I was going to go into athletic administration, I needed to go 
Um, I needed to make the move when it presented itself. And this move kind of presented itself out of the blue. It was a good opportunity. The school, the athletic program was bigger than most small colleges where I was at. And so uh, I I thought that that was a good move at the time. But once I got into athletic administration, I kind of realized that though I have some impact on student athletes and though I'm, I'm able to interact with them, it's not quite the same as coaching. And, uh, you know, the, the hands-on, the day-to-day right. uh, interaction with them. And then as I thought about it even larger, even when, as a coach, you know, I was only really influencing my team. And I felt like, you know, if I could influence more student-athletes and have a larger impact, I, I think that that, you know, I felt like we had something to add. I, th- I thought that we had some value to add with coaches and student athletes uh, from the John Maxwell leadership philosophies and just some of the philosophies that I had developed uh, through my years of coaching that had been successful. And so I figured if I could go around the country, work with multiple teams, uh, we could have a bigger ripple effect and, and I could add value to a whole lot more student athletes than, than just what I was doing um, at one school. And right. so that for me, that was the case. Now, you know, it took me a lot of years to come to that realization and uh, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but that's what I decided at that time. And so it's, it's been good so far. Uh, I, I still miss coaching. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, all, all the people out there listening, you know, that are coaches, they understand it's in your blood and it's hard to, it's hard to get rid of that. Every time you watch a game or, or, you know, even hear about coaching, you, you just, you want to get back into it sometimes. Sure. But, but in, a, in a way, Go ahead and finish your thoughts. Sorry, Jamie. Oh, but, you know, but if I was only working with like a bank or executives, even though I work with companies, if I was only working with them, then it would be a lot harder of a transition, more challenging. But since I'm working with so many athletic teams, then I kind of get my fix that way. Sure, sure. That same, that's just what I was going to chime in with is that you and I are both in positions where in a sense we're still coaching. We're not at a practice. We don't have a whistle with us. We don't. Uh, we're not drawn up uh, plays for you know a, a game in the upcoming weekend. But we're still coaching, and so I, I completely get that. And I think a lot of coaches that have left the business or think about leaving the business think about that as well. So you go into John Maxwell's group and you begin working with uh, you know in the topic of leadership and how to develop that and what kind of positive impact that makes for organizations or teams or individuals. And I, and before we get into this topic that we want to talk about today, which is leadership and taking control and leading and who's going to be in control of any type of a situation, I want to ask, now that you have really sort of, you dove in and began really studying leadership probably at a micro level in a way that you maybe didn't have time to do as a coach, Give me like the one or two big things that you've learned uh, from leadership principles that you've been teaching now that as a coach you wish you would have known and been able to apply to your teams that you coached. Yeah, great, great question. And, and you know, I wish it was only the last year or two where I really started to dive into I'd always done leadership. Right. I'd always been, uh, I'd always had a passion for learning about leadership, but it was only the last couple of years of my coaching that I really dived into what is it that people like John Maxwell and John Gordon and those kind of guys are really putting out there and, and what does it really mean for me and my team? And so, uh, you know, as a coach, I always communicated with my players. I always thought that I had the right answers for my players, but I did not always, 
I did not always look at uh, where my players were at. Um, I didn't put myself in their shoes all the time. And I think a good leader uh, really looks at a different perspective. You mm-hmm. know, they don't just look at, well, this is the way I did it. This is the way my coach did it when I was right. when I was playing. This is the way it should be done. And, and I think too oftentimes us as coaches say, well, th- you need to do it. I don't understand why you can't do it. Or I don't understand why you won't listen to me or this or that. You know, fill in the blanks. And what ends up happening is we don't see their perspective. We don't see what's going on with them. Um, and so our message, even though we're communicating a message all the time and the message might be the right message, it's not getting through to them because we haven't made that connection. Right. So one of the biggest things is, is uh, you know, connecting and, and having that bond with players so that they know – uh, that you care and that you, you they can trust you. And I know that's cliche, but it's so true. You think about, I mean, right now, if you just think about the players on your team that are giving you the most problems, most of the time, those are the players that you aren't connected with very right. well. Um, or that and, you haven't and, taken the time to understand or connect with. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And so, you know, I wish I had learned that sooner in my career. It was kind of, well, I'm smarter than you because I'm the coach, or you should just do what I tell you to do. Well, it, it might be the right thing, but, you know, even I tell my kid, you know, my seven-year-old, I tell them not to touch a hot stove. Well, I'm obviously smarter than my seven-year-old, and obviously I'm right. He shouldn't touch the stove, but, you know, he doesn't always listen to me for whatever reason. Now, I know that's not apples to apples comparison because it doesn't you know, get I any ha- better, by the way, as they become teenagers no, just from personal right. experience. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's not always about me, you know, the coach, Coach Beckler being right. It's about how can we get a win win situation? Um, you know, I think about, and I know I'm going a little, a little farther in, in this question. Yeah, but, no, no, uh, no, that's good. But, you know, I think back to when I was. I was in high school and I'm walking down the sidewalk and with my mom and in town and we have to get to the other side of the road. And instead of going to the crosswalk, I decide to cross over, you know, in the middle of the sidewalk area. And she grabs my arm and and she says, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to cross the street. And she goes, well, there's cars coming. And I said, well, they'll stop because pedestrians have the right of way. And she looked at me and I'll never forget this. She said, yes, and you'll be dead right. And I, and yeah. I think a lot of times as coaches, we are dead right all the time. And then we get to the end of the season and we wonder why we didn't have as much success. Well, it's because we were dead right. We were right all the time. We were trying to get our way all the right. time as opposed to trying to have a win-win situation. And I think when we look at other people's perspectives, when we try to connect more with our players, then, then we're going to uh, we're gonna have uh, you know, more of a win-win situation. Uh, and, and I learned that the last couple of years of coaching. And then certainly as an administrator, I learned that more. You know, that there's an old saying that, that says, uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. That's, that's true. Yeah, so yeah. sometimes we're just really knowledgeable as coaches, but we're not real wise. Right. Um, and we want people to follow us just because we're the coach or we're in a position and. uh and, you know, that's the case even on the way down to captains, captains or seniors. You know, they feel like, well, this freshman should carry our bag or this freshman should listen to us because we're a senior or we're a captain. And and that's just not the way to do leadership. You know, true leaders don't build followers. They develop other leaders. And so I think as as coaches, we have to model this. 
but then we also have to teach our players this. Right. So we get into this topic of, you know, as, as you're you know, uncovering the leadership and, and how to maybe do it correctly or more effectively. And I'm wondering, uh, sort of it gets down into controlling a situation to get a specific outcome. That's, I think, the whole reason that, you know, people would want to develop better leadership habits is because somebody needs to lead an organization, a team, or a staff, and that vacuum of leadership is where the problems happen. And so I think, is it fair to say that a lot of coaches uh, that are good coaches and smart people, they don't want to take that step of, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to exercise some control in some way, shape, or form over what I have oversight uh, on. And they don't do it because they think, well, I don't, in controlling somebody, that means I'm being mean or I'm being the boss or or I'm being somebody that uh, is just pushing and bullying people out of the way. And I don't think that's the case, do you? I mean, but you see that you run into coaches like that where leadership is absent because they want it to be everybody's opinion and let's all agree and okay, now let's move forward. And it seems like the most effective coaches and leaders are the people who say, here's the vision, here's how we're going to do it, now let's go. But I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, how can you enlarge uh, people? How can you add value to people? And and how can you... uh how can you take a person to where they want to go? Uh, and in a team sport, how can you take one person where they want to go along with the team going in that same direction? And I, yeah, you're right. Controlling, controlling, you know, a coach controlling their team sometimes gets a, uh, certainly a negative, uh, connotation to it, but, uh, you know, somebody has to be in control and that doesn't mean that you're in control where you're the autonomous dictator boss, um, sometimes it can mean you're in control because you've developed these players on your team to be able to act responsibly, to make good choices. Um, you know, for instance, you you know, I know like a John Calipari, let's say, with right. Kentucky gets criticized. Well, he doesn't get criticized for necessarily rolling out the balls, but he lets his players play. But he also controls the situation in that he really does a good job of teaching and developing his players to make good decisions. Um, And it's like, you know, when we trust our, you know, if you're a parent and you're trusting your kid to go out at night, you're trusting that you've helped them develop good decision-making skills and that they'll make the right decisions. So you're still in control of the situation. You're responsible for the situation, but but maybe you're not necessarily the dictator telling people what to do all the time. Right. And and uh, there's an element of serving, and in, in that is what I'm hearing from you philosophically yeah. that that you have to you have to teach, you have to serve, you have to almost you know humble yourself a little bit in that leadership role to get the respect so that they'll listen to you. Absolutely, and and you know from a control standpoint, you know I think every coach. For the for the most part, most coaches are going to control their teams, or their team is going to be a reflection of them in some way. And and this might not be a popular thing, but if you have a team that has a lack of leadership, then that's a reflection of you as a coach because you've allowed that to happen mm-hmm. in some way, either through the players you've recruited or the way that you have developed or not developed the leadership among your current players. Um, and with you know, I'm not going to name names of teams, but there's teams out there we can think of that that have a lack of discipline, 
um, that that don't do things right. And I would say that the coach is ultimately responsible for that because they've allowed it to get to that point at some at some level, right? Um, along the way. Now, now it could be something that they did or didn't do three or four years ago. That's kind of been, you know, kind of festered and built through the years. But, uh, you know, our culture, uh, Indiana Wesleyan is a is a small college in NAIA up in Indiana. The men's basketball program has won a couple national titles in the last few years. And their culture is absolutely amazing. Um, they have a cult, a servant attitude, servant leadership culture. And I saw that firsthand when I was the athletic director at the high school in their town. But that coach, um, you know, it's a reflection of him, but the kids have bought into it. The team has bought in and taken ownership of what their culture is. So he has a vision, but then he worked to instill that vision and get that buy-in from his players. Right. And and I think that the, the opposite can be true, too, in that we don't always put leadership up on a pedestal like it's so important to teach as a skill and to develop. What we do is we think that, well, we'll work on our ball handler or we'll work on, work on shooting drills or we're going to spend more time on our plays or, you know, well, these kids just, these kids are fill in the blank. You know, they're idiots or they're, they're soft or these kids, kids nowadays, you know, we just kind of take that approach and instead of developing team leadership, we just kind of hope that it happens or we hope that the two captains that we elect end right. up, you know, are good role models. So if, if, if control or if leadership, there's an element of the need to control uh, that, that kind of comes along with being a leader, and you just outlined one of the principles maybe that coaches seeking to increase uh, the quality of their leadership in their program maybe should uh, and, and, and take control of that program needs to connect with their athletes better and needs to really understand where they're coming from. That sort of one philosophy that I heard you kind of talk about. What what would give me two or three more things that you would advise a coach that's listening right now that says, okay, I, I'm buying into this idea that as a leader, I need to connect better with my team and, and really make sure I'm setting the culture up correctly. But when it comes to this idea of controlling to the extent that you can set them on a course and and it's in the right direction it fits in with your goals as a coach and you're moving them along in the right direction you're controlling that movement how give me two or three more things that you would advise coaches to do along with getting to know and connecting with their players better yeah absolutely you know people are going to follow somebody that they know and trust and 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 uh, feel like they they care about them it's the same as sales you know you buy things from people you know uh, trust or like. So they're going to believe in you as a coach, as a person first, and then they're going to believe in what you say a lot of times. That's that's how you're going to have lasting uh, influence. Now, so once you've developed some connection or once you've developed some trust there, now you can start leading them down the path of uh, of, of where they need to go, help teaching them and, and being intentional about them. So if you're a coach and, and you want to control your situation and, and you don't want your team to get out of hand or, or lose some control, you want your team to be a reflection of you, then you need to be intentional about that. And, and one of the ways is, is uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but treat leadership, treat character development as a skill, just like you would rebounding or defense or shooting. And, and, and carve some time out, carve some time out 
Can you hear him? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. That's yeah. okay. No, that's 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 good. Let that's, me pause. He, he is he is he is exercising some uh, some control uh, over the situation. So that's that's no problem. Uh, you know, if I'll, I'll jump in with a thought, just if uh, we'll we'll uh, uh, you uh, you make sure that that he's okay. You know, one of the things that in coaching uh, football for the time that I did, uh, the uh, you know the thing that that I, I got to be around, like any of us that have coached, we got to be around coaches that were effective leaders and that you wanted to coach for, and then some that weren't. And without naming names, uh, and we probably have all seen or worked for this type of a coach before, but this this coach was in trying to exercise strong leadership his answer to that was to yell and you know to uh you know a lot of punitive stuff during practice so kid fumbles a ball in practice the whole team runs right and you know so not only did that not build that connection it wasn't like it goes back to what you were saying jamie it's not like the um the kid was trying to fumble instead of taking that time and making the team run uh make sure that you're teaching better ball handling techniques and make sure that you so that's that's the answer if you were just to look at at that one situation right but i think when coaches get nervous they yell and that increases the chances that a kid's going to back off or get tense and not perform as well and again, it just goes counter to what you're talking about with uh, with leadership like that. Yeah, and, and I think I think uh, you know too many of us as coaches, you know, we we end up getting reactive, and we end up hoping that you know leadership or character or what they brought into the college level that 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 stays that that somehow they they develop these magical leadership skills, especially as they grow older, and and they're gonna. They're going to essentially develop the leadership skills that we teach them. They're going to be getting it from somewhere. And and uh, you know one of the things Can that I, I one of the things that I started doing. <laughs> Can I talk, Dad? What what does he have to say, Jamie? What what do you have What do you have to say, Jalen? Do you have something to say? Mm-hmm. Just say it right there in the microphone. Say hi, and then. Hi, Patino Ninjago. <laughs> you know what? I have a son who's ten. I know Ninjago. Believe me. We have Lego Ninjago sets all over the house. Yes, Jalen loves Ninjago. Jalen is a good basketball name. He is. He was actually named after Jalen Rose. There you go. Um, he was my favorite player growing up for the Michigan Fab yeah, Five. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, but I, I like the name, and so, yeah. But uh, you know, I think we have to be more intentional as coaches to go ahead and and teach those skills that we want. You know, we hear it all the time. Players are going to do what we emphasize. We're going to get what we emphasize. Um, and if we're not emphasizing leadership skills, if we're not emphasizing character development, you know, I don't see why it's a big deal to take five or ten minutes per day to work on that stuff. You know, maybe go into a classroom, have a have a guest speaker come in, show a quick video, show something where, uh, you know, two nights ago in a game. Uh, some player got ejected or some player got a technical foul or a red card right at the end of the game that cost them the game. 
show those kind of things, talk that through before they're actually in that critical situation. Um, you know, we, we tend to, you know, as soon as our player gets a, a yellow card or a technical foul, then all of a sudden we want to start coaching them up on leadership and, and there's, it's too heated. That's not the time to be teaching. Um, you know, the, the common phrase of sports builds character. Well, I think the games and, and sports sometimes just reveal character. Right. It reveals what's already been built. So we can't wait for the game to to start building stuff. You know, that's when things are revealed, and, and that's what happens in practice. And, right. and so take some time to work on that kind of stuff. Be intentional about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that that's too much to ask. We work on special situations. We work on special plays at the end of the game. Let's work on leadership skills because too many times as a coach, we'll get to the end of the game and we'll have issues that, you know, we lose a game and it's because we had a kid that lost focus or we had a kid that lost their poise or we have kids that don't trust one another and all of a sudden they're not running the play right because they actually don't trust each other. And so it really has nothing to do with the play. The play would work if you had two different players in there. But because the two players, you know, maybe don't trust each other or a player doesn't trust you as a coach. Um, and so those are kinds of things. If you can work on those before you get into those situations, I think you might, you know, have a more successful season sometimes. Right. Let me ask you a question, too, because you've gotten to observe coaches as well as business professionals and leaders, leaders out in the, I'll call it the real world. And I'm wondering, you know, but, but the idea of personality types, the coach that I was describing a few minutes ago that I coached with who, you know, his idea of leadership was just yelling. And if you did, a, you know, if nothing fixed, you would just yell louder and more and criticize and tear down. I'm just wondering, you know, a coach with a strong personality uh, versus the coach who's a little quieter, more of a thinker, maybe more of a John Wooden. I mean, John Wooden was a great leader. You have coaches that are fiery and intense that are good leaders, good coaches. Um, do you feel like with this generation of athlete that you can be either one of those? And, and what does each one have to do to be an effective leader? Because, for instance, you know, you could have the reaction to that strong, forceful um, you know, head coach like a Bobby Knight that you know, certain types of kids – aren't going to uh aren't going to to respond to that and in the same way that you you take a a a coach like a john wooden maybe who a little quieter softer you know there's a lot of kids in this generation that could take advantage of that and and would control the situation so i'm just wondering how how does each coach balance that and and is one better than the other for this generation do you feel (laughs) you know I hear it all the time. This generation is is the worst generation ever. Kids these days, it's it's the toughest ever. But you know, I it's different. The kids nowadays are different. Right. But you know, I don't think that the kids nowadays are any worse than you know John Wooden had to deal with kids during the Vietnam War era. You know, I'm not sure there's a worse era than the Vietnam War right. era in Great some point. respects. Um, and so, you know, I think each coach always has to adjust and adapt to their players into the situation. You know, we're going to get in games sometimes where we're going to have to adjust and adapt to what the other team, you know, throws at us. And we're going to have to uh, adapt to different teams. You know, you see Mike Krzyzewski, you know, he, he now plays a lot of zone or, you know, teams 
coaches adapt to their situation, to their players. And so whether it's skill or whether it's uh, intangibles, you know, their personalities of their players, the personalities of their parents, uh, personalities of administrators, you have to adapt as a coach. And so the best coaches are able to adapt. And if you are only a one style type coach, if you're only a, a screamer or you're only a, uh, a real soft spoken type coach, then you may not be maximizing your potential as a coach because not every player learns and and responds the same way into the same uh, type of coaching. Sure. So that's where that connection comes in. And I know I keep coming back to connection, but that is so huge in everything. You know, if you know, think about just most of the time, if, if someone's trying to sell you something, you're not going to buy from them unless it's you've made a connection with them somehow. Um, you know, I'm not talking about when you go to a fast food restaurant, sure, that doesn't sure. matter. But if someone's trying to sell something, especially something you don't necessarily want, you're more willing to buy from them if there's a connection. And that's the same as your players. You've got to make that connection so they'll buy what you're selling. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think in general the Bob Knight philosophy works anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it still might work with a few players that you have, but you can't take just because it works with little Susie over here that it'll work with little Whitney over there. Right. Um, and, and you have to, it takes time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time and energy to figure out what it is that motivates each of your players and what it is that they need. Um, and some of them, it's, it's going to be different. You know, some of them are motivated by success, by ego. Some are just happy to be on the team. Uh, some are motivated by that scholarship. They don't care if they play as long as they still get their scholarship. Um, you know, it, it's various things that they're going to be motivated. And, uh, you know, it's going to change from day to day, too. It's not, you know, what, what motivated Whitney this day doesn't necessarily motivate her two weeks later. Sure. It, um, and, and you, I mean, just from your observation, whether it's employees, you know, in, in recruiting the right employees to a company that you run, or the right players to a program that you run. What I'm hearing you say, Jamie, is that it it, it sounds like it's critical that a that a coach recruit the right players to fit that leadership and style and personality that he or she has. Because, for instance, and you know, I'll, the point that I'll bring out is, or the example that I'll, I'll use is the recent uh, the ESPN 30 for 30. Uh, on Notre Dame versus Miami, the Catholics versus convicts. Uh, um, and you had Jimmy Johnson. <clears throat> they really went into detail about that team and, and how he was rebuilding that program. And he intentionally led them to celebrate after a sack, to intimidate the opponent. That was just his style. That was his leadership style. And he had to recruit kids that fit into that and, you know, and wanted that you know that type of a setting uh you know and then you had the you know notre dame was sort of on the opposite end of the personality spectrum where you know lou holtz would yell and get fired but you know more intense probably a little bit more of a of a teacher as a head coach and both teams were successful so it's would you agree that you have to a really important component to all this is if you're going to lead people make sure that you are putting the right people, talent aside, getting the right personalities in place that respond to your style of leadership. What do you think? Yeah, you know, when we're, uh, you know, even when we're in, when I was dating, let's say, <laughs> when I was dating, you know, I was attracted to my wife by her looks first, which is the equivalent of a player in their talent. 
Sure. But as I got to know her, I started to realize that, you know what, we have, we, her personality, her character, who she really is, fits me. It, it, it completes me, so to speak. It's complementary to me. And so uh, that's the same way with your players. You know, you're going to be attracted to their talent, to their skill level first. But, you know, they're going to drive you crazy, even no matter how much skill they have, if they are not the right fit from an intangible standpoint. Because you're trying to build a culture. You're trying to build a program that's sustainable, not just a one-year type thing. And, and if you're trying to do that, then you want to make sure that you bring in the right people. And so, for instance, if you're out recruiting and you're watching a game and and you tend to have the style where you yell at your players a lot um, and you're really hard on your players right. and their coach is kind of hard on them, you know, their high school coach is kind of hard on them, and you see that this player is reacting negatively to that and then maybe after the game this player – you know, complains a little bit about their coach. Well, that's probably a red flag that this isn't the player that you want. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that they might not be a fit for your style. Um, you know, if you tend to hold players accountable a little bit more than others and, and you get the feeling that this, this recruit doesn't want to be held accountable, then maybe that's not the right fit and you need to look elsewhere. And, and you know, a lot of times as coaches, we, we kind of hold out hope. We hope or we talk ourselves into, well, we can change this person. And it's no different than when we're recruiting a seven-footer, you know, that no one else right. wants or right. a transfer. Well, they'll be better for me than they were for the other other coach. But that's not normally the case. Right. Um, what we see is, is what we get a lot of times. Now, we can certainly develop them uh, where they're better. Um, but if there's some major red flags like that when it comes to maybe style or the fit, personality, uh, then, you, then you might want to really evaluate what you're doing in that recruiting process. Right, because you're – I like the way that you put it. You're recruiting and planning for the short term rather than the long term, and and you know that that's really the seduction that takes place with college coaches. That's the that is the moral struggle, isn't it? That you know, do I recruit this kid even though I know she's going to be a headache and her parents are going to come with the deal? And boy, mom was really crazy during the process. I'm going to have to deal with that. But she's going to give this and this to us athletically. Or do I say no to her, yes to somebody that's going to be a better fit, you know, from a personality leadership uh, standpoint on our team and in our program, but is going to bring a little less to the court or to the field athletically. That's really the struggle for coaches, isn't it? It's tough. And But if you think about your current team or the teams you've had in the last five years, let's say, how much time and energy have you spent on high maintenance players that had talent and you kept making excuses for them um, or kids that don't get the job done in the classroom but they're really they can put the ball in the basket and and you know I know that they might win you a game or two here and there but think about how much energy you would have to devote elsewhere or to devote on other things or other players if you didn't have that high maintenance player on your team or, or the players that, that bring all that baggage. And, and I think that in the long run for your program, I think you're going to win more games in the long run if you're bringing in those character kids. Now, certainly I, I'm not talking about a character kid that, that can't dribble or sure. can't throw a baseball or right, hit a baseball. Right. I mean, obviously they have to have some talent, but you know, I, I don't even say when it's equal, take the character kid. I say when it's even close, when they're when they're when it's close between them, take the right. character kid. Well, because that's um, going to show up in the classroom or what happens in the dorms on a weekend that you have to then take care of, and all it, it goes so beyond just the team and the 
and the, the the coach and the sport it it it's to the lifestyle then that you have to manage and maintain and and try to control which a lot of the times you have a uh, you know that weak character kid that's not going to be somebody that's going to be easy to control absolutely and i and i believe 100% that more teams you're you're going to win in the long run more often when you don't have those high maintenance talented kids but when you have some decently talented kids that that you can develop their character even more that they develop into the leaders that they need to be for society in general you know i i think that you know you look at the chicago bulls the chicago bulls talent wise should be better than they are right now but they've got some leadership issues They've got some guys averaging 25, 20 points a game that aren't showing true leadership skills right now. Um, you know, we can say, well, yeah, Jimmy Butler is a heck of a player, but if he's not leading the rest of the squad, if he's not helping develop leaders on that 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 team, then really how good are they going to be? And, and what you're going to do is at the end of the day, you're going to say, well, we underachieved, but man, we had an all-conference player. Right. Um, and I don't think we want to do that. I mean, we want our players to be successful and win some awards, but we don't want to do it at the cost of the team. And, and you know, once again, I, th- I think it starts at the top with your leadership. I think as the coach, they're, they're going to do what you emphasize. You know, my teams, we led the nation or we're at the top of the, top of the nation every year in rebounding because we emphasize that, you know, all day long. They knew that they had to rebound playing for me. Well, like everything else, you're, you emphasize something on your team. And so what is it that you're emphasizing? And if, and if you're not emphasizing that character, that discipline, those leadership skills, if you're not emphasizing how do we react after uh, an official's call, you know, do we move on to the next play or do we complain about that call still? What do we do when, when coach takes us out of the game? Do we sulk at the end of the bench? You know, all those kinds of things. If we're not emphasizing the correct way to behave and the correct way to, uh, to think, then those kinds of things are going to show up in the games eventually and are going to cost us games, I think. Yeah. So here's what, how I want to try to wrap this up for, and I'm, I want to do something important at the end for coaches. I'll, I will say that in this conversation with Jamie, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him again and one of the reasons that he's coming back to speak at the 2017 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference is that he has that rare perspective of having been a college coach and now also a leadership training expert. And sometimes you get one or the other and not both. And he's that rare exception where where we get both. So I'm, I will just say personally, Jamie, I'm really looking forward to your session uh, this June at the, uh, at the upcoming conference. But how I wanted to end this uh, was, oh, and by the way, you can go to jamiebeckler.com, J-A-M-Y-B-E-C-H-L-E-R, to find out more about what he does and how he works with teams and what he could do for your team. And I would highly recommend it, especially if you're trying to, to uh, embed leadership principles into your entire team. He can do some great things for you, and, and he does that. Uh, but here's how I want to I want to zero back in on recruiting because, of course, this is a recruiting-focused podcast, and we've talked about leadership, we talked about control, the right personalities and everything. So what I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to put you on the spot here because I didn't prep you for this, but I'm, I'm interested in what you think, what, what are the right questions coaches could ask prospects to pull out what kind of a, what, what kind of a, uh, a character they were, or how do I determine which kid is right for my leadership style, which kid is right personality-wise 
for our program. And kids, of course, are really good at, during the recruiting process, sort of uh, posturing and saying the things that the coaches want to hear. And I'm just wondering, are there questions that you would recommend coaches ask during the recruiting process to, to try to draw out you know, without maybe even the prospect knowing that they're doing it, but to reveal, here's who I am as a person, and here's how you're going to have to lead me and coach me, coach. <laughs> great, great question. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Well, first of all, I think you have to work backwards. And, and what I mean by that is, what do you want as a player? What when you're When you're coaching each day of the week, when you're going to practice, when you have the games, what are the problems that exist on your team that you don't like? What are the things that, or what are the things that you want your team to be like? And then work backwards from there because those recruits are eventually going to be either your headaches or they're going to be your joys. And so what is it that you want when they're juniors and seniors and then work backwards from that? Right. So, so as in, so I don't think that there's necessarily a question that you're going to ask them because I think a lot of times people can, can answer the right way or they can say what they think you want them to say. I think you observe things and I think you listen as opposed to asking questions. You listen to what goes on. So for instance, you're at a game and after the game, let's say it's a, a, a win. Uh, and I mean, I guess you could ask a question, but, but you say, you know, Hey, good game. Even though they didn't score many points, you can bring up something. You can say, Hey, good game. And, and see, a lot of times kids, especially scorers, let's say, in basketball will say, oh, uh, it wasn't a very good game or something like that, even though their team won because they didn't score a lot of points. Um, you know, if, if they're in a game where it's a loss, see how they are. Are they happy? You know, are they kind of a little bit more uh, energetic than the other players because they actually scored 25 points? They had a good personal game. Um, kind of observe those things and see how they act. Those That's going to tell you a whole lot more than asking an actual question. Um, but all in all, I use the recruiting process as six months to a year to even a year and a half to actually start developing a leader, um, for a future leader for my team. Because how many, of, how many of us as coaches have said the best thing about a freshman is they become a sophomore? Um, <laughs> you know, right. most of us don't like freshmen. Well, use that recruiting process as that's their freshman year. That's the year that right. you're developing right. your philosophy and, and start teaching them. Start teaching them what it would be mean to be a, a player in my program. This is what is expected of a player. And so, you know, if they're talking bad about a coach after the game or if their parents are talking bad about a coach after a game, you know, kind of put a stop to that. Kind of say something about that because you wouldn't put up with that if they're your player. Once they become a freshman or sophomore, you wouldn't put up with that. So don't put up with that as, as a recruit. Start to uh, start that process early. Start to develop them so that when they become a freshman, they're actually not a true freshman for you anymore. Jamie Beckler, thank you so much for all the great advice and the time you devoted to teaching coaches the right way to develop leadership. Coach, head on over to his website at jamiebeckler, B-E-C-H-L-E-R.com, and take a look at more of the resources and get in touch with him. He can really help your program. That's it for today on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Thanks for being here. Have a great week out there, recruiting coach, and we'll see you next time.